Well, turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll read together verses 1 through verse 16. Ephesians chapter 4, begin reading with verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning that we are your children, that we have been called by the name of Christ. We thank you that you have uh, promised us that you will never leave us or forsake us, that we indeed are yours until the end of time. And so, Lord, we rejoice and give you thanks that we as your people have the privilege of being in your presence and hearing your word. And now, Father, I pray that you would uh, be with my lips, enable me to articulate your word in a way that uh, would uh, prick our hearts. And Lord, speak to us this morning through your scripture. We pray this, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of the sermon this morning is The Unity of the Body. Unity is something that uh, we've heard a great deal about lately in light of the tragedies that have occurred in our country, uh, in light of various issues, social issues, and uh, other issues that have arisen throughout the world. Um, in fact, just this week, I was listening on CNN to a, um, to a video footage of Quinetta McMillan, uh, who is one of the relatives of uh, one of the slain Dallas police officers, and she was describing her son's appeal. Her son was uh, just a teenager, and she was describing his appeal uh, for peaceful protest, not for violent protest, but for peaceful protest. 
And while she was describing it, of course, she was very moved and, and brought to tears. And she looked around the room and she made the statement, looking at all the people in the room who were there for one purpose, to talk about the social, social issues of the day. She said, this is our unity right here. And oftentimes that's the case, that people are brought together either by an ideological unity or they're brought together by a trauma, they're brought together uh, by circumstances. However, when we look at the church, there's a unity that is really on a completely different level that you and I are called to uh, that I would like to just walk us through as we look at this text uh, that we read together this morning. And so in order to try to frame this uh, the best I can, I would like to look at three different parts, uh, which I believe is what the Apostle Paul is telling the church here at Ephesus. The first part, uh, and it's there in your notes, uh, there in your bulletin, is that we are called to the Father. It's interesting that whenever the Apostle Paul begins admonishing and he begins commanding the church at Ephesus to be united, he admonishes them to, um, to keep the, the, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. But when he begins that, he doesn't begin by uh, applauding unity for the sake of unity. Rather, he begins by pointing the church to the fact that we are called. In fact, in verse 1, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So he admonishes them to walk worthy in a manner uh, to which they, uh, in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which they have been called. So what calling, what call is it that he's referring to here? This question, I think, has to be answered if we're truly going to understand uh, how you and I are to walk worthy. Well, he actually answers the question for us uh, there in um, verse 6. He says, one God, talking about the fact that we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And then in verse 6, he says, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So ultimately, as Christians, our unity is built on the fact that we are called to the Father. It's built around this fundamental truth that we are called to the Father. This one critical feature distinguishes Christian unity from all other types of unity. The fact that we are called to the Father, that we are set apart, that we are different, that we are chosen. This really has been the command. It's been the characteristic of God's people throughout history. In fact, if you look in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, God told his people, he said, you shall be holy to me, and holiness is truly uh, being set apart, being called for God. Uh, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Now, that's an interesting quote from the Old Testament. The apostle Peter later would use that very quote when he's exhorting the people of God to love one another with brotherly love. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, where he tells them, he quotes uh, Leviticus 20, 26, and he tells them that as a called out nation, as those who are holy, those who are separated to God, that the, the foundation of our unity is built upon the fact that we are called to one Father. And then you'll note that after Paul establishes the fact that the church in Ephesus, and indeed you and I, are called to the Father, he provides a list of adjectives that describe what it means to walk worthy of this calling. Now, it's interesting that these adjectives are relational words, but they don't address our relationship with God, per se. They address our relationship one with another, because 
there are two aspects of holiness. There are two aspects of our call. Yes, there is the fact that we are called to God, that we are called by him, that we are called as his people. We are set apart as a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. That's the first aspect. But the second aspect is that we should treat others as those who've been called, those who've been separated from the world. We should treat others in the same way that God has treated us. So there's a list of adjectives. In fact, Paul mentions there in verse 2 that we should walk worthy, and he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So the descriptives that he gives are relational descriptives. They describe how that you and I, as Christians, as those who've been called to God the Father, as those who, through Jesus Christ, are reconciled to God, how we should react, how we should interact one with another. And then he makes this transition uh, there in verse 7. He demonstrates what walking worthy looks like in the life of Christ. He points to the incarnate gospel, that it's not simply enough to do lip service, but he actually points to Christ, and he says, Christ incarnate is the penultimate example, the greatest example of what it looks like to walk in humility and to walk worthy of our calling. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he talks about the fact that he who ascended on high first descended. And theologians call that his um, exaltation, which first uh, was preceded by his humiliation, that Christ in his incarnate state was humiliated, that he took upon himself sinful man, that he took upon himself flesh and became sin for us, that you and I might become the righteousness of God. And so here in, in verse 7, he's actually quoting an Old Testament psalm, Psalm 68, 18. Uh, and in the Old Testament, there's, there's one other element that Paul leaves out that I'll just briefly read to you. Uh, in Psalm 68, 18, the actual verse says, you ascended on high leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. In other words, the psalmist was, was really approaching God as if he is a triumphant king and talking about the fact that God uh, leads captives in his train and receives gifts among men even among the rebellious, for the sake that God might dwell with his people. And we've said it often, and I'll say it again, that the fundamental message of all of the Bible, the purpose of God's redemptive historical plan throughout history is that he might be our God and that we might be his people, that he might live among us. And so in the incarnation of Christ, he manifests to his church. He demonstrates to the world what it looks like to walk worthy of the calling to which we are called. Because we are called to God the Father, and just as Christ, he told his disciples on the night of his passion, that just as God the Father has sent me, even so I send you. So we are to walk worthy of the calling to which we are called, and walking worthy means that we too have this mind in us that was in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul later says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. He establishes our appeal, his appeal to Christian humility by pointing to the humiliation of Christ. He says, let each of you, this is Philippians 2 verses 4 through 7, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. There, of course, he's describing the humiliation of Christ, the fact that Christ did not think equality with God something to be grasped, but rather he took upon himself the likeness of you and I, the likeness of man, so that he might redeem us and reconcile us to God. So to summarize the first point that I believe the Apostle Paul is making here, the foundation of unity within the body is the fact that we are called to one Father, one God, to be set apart for him, and we've learned what this looks like. We've learned what humility looks like from the incarnation of Christ. Christ humbling himself and becoming obedient even unto death, death on a cross. I don't know if you remember when you first learned how to play baseball or softball. I remember fairly well and um, never been that good at the game necessarily. But I do remember when it clicked with me that if I kept my eye on the ball versus the bat or the guy pitching the ball, that I was much more likely to hit it. And it's sort of the same way with driving. And I, this is something I'm reminded of quite often when I'm driving with my wife and I happen to look away and I swerve a little bit uh, in the direction that I'm looking. Because oftentimes where we look, where our attention is focused, influences how we move our body, how we function. It's almost subconscious. It's something that, that happens quite natural, in a, inadvertently, you might say, that uh, we steer our body in the direction of our gaze. And I think this is why the Apostle Paul begins with pointing to the fact that we are called to God before he provides the admonishment for Christian unity. Because he knows that if you and I keep our eyes on God, if we keep our eyes on the fact that we are called and therefore we are commanded to walk worthy of that calling, then it will be much easier, it will be second nature in a sense, uh, following the path that Christ uh, has ordained for us that we will be walking worthy if we keep our eyes on him. All right, well, point two here in, in, the, in the bulletin is that we are called by one means. We're called to one father, and we're called by one means. Uh, Paul makes a shift in the text after he talks about the fact that Christ is triumphant, that he has given gifts to men, both in his humiliation, the fact that he descended, and also his exaltation, the fact that he ascended. And then he says in verse 11 that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And so he points to the means of our calling. He points to the fact that you and I are called through the proclamation of the word. That's the common denominator that all these, uh, these ministry offices have in common. They proclaim the word of God. And so fundamental to Christian unity, and this is really a distinctive when you compare the unity that you and I are called to, to the unity of, let's say, um, ideological groups or the unity of those who, who simply um, have a chosen trauma or a chosen issue that they want to gather around. As Christians, our calling is a bit different in that, yes, we are called to something, but also our unity is demonstrated by the means of our call, and that means ultimately is revelation. It's not an ideology. It's not a good idea, regardless of how good some ideologies are. It's not a concept, but rather it is the word of God. And so Paul then transitions to showing the church that one of the key criteria of our call to unity is that 
God's word is the authority in his body, and it is the means by which we are called to God. He says this to the church in Rome in Romans 10, 14. He says, how then will they call on him in who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So ultimately, the answer to that question is the fact that Christ has given gifts. And the gifts there are identified in in verse 11 of our text, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, from there, the apostle Paul identifies five different forms that this means of our call is manifested in the life of the body. And I'll just briefly summarize them for you. The first is that these, this means of grace, if you will, which is ultimately the proclamation of the word, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Secondly, to build up the body of Christ. Thirdly, for the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Fourthly, for spiritual maturity. And then finally, to the standard of Christ. That Christ is the standard to which we ought to be transformed instead of the world. That we are to look to Christ as he is, dim- as he is revealed, as he is manifested in the proclamation of the word, in the presence of the word of God in our life, that we are to look to Christ and be transformed into his same image. And so these five areas really correspond with what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 26, when he was talking about the fact that the word of God is given by inspiration and that it's profitable for, for reproof and for correction and for rebuke, that we might be thoroughly furnished and that we might be built up, brought to maturity in Christ. And so the means of our call to unity, the means of our call to the Father, is a proclamation of the word. It is the proclamation of the word delivered in the power of the Holy Spirit through the office of pastor or teacher, but it's also the very means of grace. We, if you've been in, in, our, in our circles or reform circles or within our church very long, you, you may have heard us refer to the preaching of the gospel or the preaching of the word as a means of grace. What do we mean by that? Well, it's a means by which God demonstrates grace to his church. And we see that when the word is proclaimed, when the word is preached, that the Holy Spirit uses that word to change our hearts. He uses it to unite us together, and he uses it ultimately to transform us into the likeness of Christ. So really, it's the word of God that is the means of our call that is a distinctive characteristic of our unity. That we're not just gathered around some ideological consensus, but rather we are gathered around as a community of those who've been called out We are gathered around the supreme authority of the word of God. Now, I'm going to show my age just a little bit, but uh, how many children of the 80s do we have in here? Anyone remember the the pop band Sticks? Maybe. A few of you? Okay, some people are shaking their head. It's been a while since you've heard that. Well, Sticks had a a song called Show Me the Way. Maybe you've heard, maybe you remember it, maybe you don't. But anyway, in Show Me the Way, the the lyrics, the chorus is actually, take me tonight to the river and wash my illusions away. That's not a Christian song. It's a secular song, but it's an appeal to the church. The the world around us is making a cry for help, an appeal, take us to the river and wash our illusions away. So that ultimately is the role of the word of God in the life of God's church, in the life of the body. 
God's word washes away our illusions. It differentiates between the voice of the culture at large and the uh, voice of the world around us, the lies that are being perpetrated on us daily. The word of God enables us to distinguish between those lies and the truth of scripture so that our unity is built on revelation, on God revealing himself in his word. All right, now let's get to the third point, which is where I want to camp out and spend most of the time. So we're called to the Father, we're called by the means of the word, and we're called for one purpose. And we see this uh, here later on in, in verses that follow. According to our text, there are five different roles, and we looked at those roles just very briefly, uh, that the proclamation of the word plays in the life of the church. However, each of these five uh, roles accomplish one purpose. And we see this purpose um, there in our text when Paul says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro. In other words, why are these characteristics of the word proclaimed important? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So in order to uh, really understand, I think, what the Apostle Paul is, is getting at, in order to flesh it out a bit, I want to give two subpoints, and they're both there in the bulletin. The first is that we are called for the purpose of having communion with Christ. That it is through communion with Christ, or rather union with him, that we are reconciled to God, and that spiritual maturity or growth is possible. This is ultimately because no one can truly be faithful to the call to the Father, or a call to holiness, as we read there in Leviticus 20.26, apart from Christ and his finished work. That you and I, and that's sort of the the preliminary doctrine of, of justification, that we stand justified in God's presence because of the work of Christ, because of his righteousness, and not because of our own, that we are accepted by God because Christ uh, fulfilled the law perfectly. And so it's union with him that enables us to be accepted in the presence of God, in the sight of God. But it's also communion with him that is a foundational characteristic of our unity one with another, that we have communion, that we have fellowship with Christ. And the second sub-point is that we have communion with the body of Christ, that we walk in the light even as he is in the light, and we have fellowship one with another. This union that you and I have is a derivative of the communion that we share with Christ. And this is why Paul says that Christ ultimately is the head. And remember the analogy that I gave earlier that where, your, where my head turns at least... Where my eyes gaze, there goes my steering. There is the direction of my body. Well, even as where our gaze goes, we often wonder, so with Christ as the head of the church, he turns the church where he will because he is the head. He is supreme. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. We are his body. So to have communion with him ultimately results in communion uh, with the body. 
Now, it's interesting that after Paul talks about the fact that um, we are no longer to be children, tossed to and, throw, uh, to and fro, etc., in verse 15, that we are to speak the truth in love, to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So the union with Christ is there mentioned. But then in verse 16, he says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In other words, the head is joined to the body, but it's the body that builds itself up. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where everything that we know about God is lived out in daily living. This is where the fact that you and I are called to one father, the fact that we are called by one means is manifested in this one body. Because the way that Christ builds you up is not simply by you and, and, and I, you've heard me no doubt if you're in Sunday school class use this analogy before, but it's not by you and Jesus having your own thing going, it's you and Christ together in his body and his body enables the body to be fed, uh, to be built up in love. That's the way that Christ has ordained it. As John Dunn said, no man is an island and least of all the church. We are a community of need, and that need fundamentally is for Christ and for one another. We cannot be transformed, and this is what Paul is getting at here in his appeal to unity, where he finally reaches the crescendo of his message and says, we cannot be truly brought to the stature of the maturity of Christ unless we are connected with the body. So if Christ is the head, then he goes from there and says that the head is joined to the body and that every joint with which it is equipped when it works properly, builds up the body with love. You and I are part of the body. We're joints. Now, in the physical realm, when a joint is inflamed, we call it arthritis, right? It's puffed up. Um, it does not allow the body to function the way the body is intended to function. And so, when as individual Christians, we no longer see our need for one another, and we think that it's optional, community, Christian community, we, we, we consider it optional. When that is the case, then we are cutting ourselves off from the body and ultimately depriving ourselves from the ability to be built up in love in the way that Christ has ordained in Scripture. You need the person that you're sitting next to. You need the person that you're sitting across the aisle from. You need the person that you will walk out today and make eye contact with. You need the person that you met when you enter church this morning. We need each other if we're going to grow up to maturity in Christ. And ultimately, this is what the Apostle Paul is admonishing us to keep in mind. We go back to the second point. We realize that it is by the means of the proclamation of the word that we are built up. But then, in the third point, really Paul teaches us or he shows us in a very practical way how that happens. He says it happens in the body. It happens in the context of Christians rubbing shoulders with Christians. Now, oftentimes we're afraid of this because true Christian community, I'm not talking about Christian veneer, you know, you and I getting together and saying how do you do and going about our business. I'm talking about true Christian community. A prerequisite for that is vulnerability. And it's in the context of that vulnerability that we see our warts and scars, that we see the ugliness of each other. And that makes us afraid because as, as, as human beings, we want to put our, our best foot forward. 
But it's that that we're called to. That's what Christ is calling us to. The standard of maturity in the Christian faith is that we would be united in Christ and that as we are united to him, that we are united one with another, that we build ourselves up in love and that we become the people that he's called us to be. No, now, so if we are to be united in Christ and if we are called to one father by the means of the proclamation of the word for the purpose of building up the body, what does this look like? How is it to be lived out in our daily lives? Glad you asked. Because two Sundays from now, we are going to have sign up for small group. Oftentimes uh, at, at church, uh, we come to corporate worship, we go to Sunday school. It's what I've compared to uh, a lecture in college, if that's a, a proper way of, of putting it. So actually much more than that. But if the, the corporate worship, and if Sunday school is lecture, then I would suggest that Christian community is the lab. It's where you and I live out that which we are called to by the gospel. And so let me admonish you as we prepare for sign-ups here in a couple weeks, don't just pass by the table, don't just you know, give a, a passing glance to the names, and also don't, don't fall into the rut of always, um, you know, sometimes when we do something over and over again, uh, we, we fail to appreciate the value that it really brings. So let me encourage you to be intentional about building community with the people that you worship with. Be intentional about reaching out and building one another up in love because it is only in the context of building each other up that ultimately we reach the level of maturity in Christ that God has called us to reach. So again, in conclusion, whenever we look at the unity that, uh, that Paul is, is admonishing here in Scripture, we see that it's built on three foundations, that we are called to one Father, that we are called by one means, and that means is the supreme authority of the Word of God that governs our lives, that governs our worship, that governs everything that we are as his church. And thirdly, that we are called... Um, uh, to, to one purpose or for one purpose, and that is communion with Christ and union with one another. That's how we are matured. That's how we're built up. That's how we're brought to the position of, of, of maturity uh, within the body that Christ has ordained. And so, again, let me encourage you, if it's not through small group, find some way. And I, I personally think that our church does a great job of providing small group as a means of building one another up because it's really, you know, you, you get something out of small group that you don't get in corporate worship, that you don't get in Sunday school, and that's the opportunity to really get to know each other and really live out in the presence of, of your brother and sister in Christ the gospel and allow it to transform your lives. So let me encourage you, though, reach out, become connected, get involved with the body. Allow the spirit of Christ that is in you and that is in your brother to build each other up because that is the foundation of our unity as the church and that is the means by which we proclaim to the world the difference between us and those uh, who are outside of faith. Let me pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your gospel. We thank you that indeed we are called that we are called by you, to you, that we are called as your church, that you are our Father, that we have one Father, one Savior, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And Lord, we thank you that by the means of your gospel, you have brought us together. 
people from different walks of life, different ethnicities, different backgrounds. You've united us together in communion with Christ and union one with another. And we pray, Lord, that you would indeed grow us up, that you would unite us together, and that you would allow the body to build itself up in love, that you would do your work in us as we are faithful to the call that you have issued. We pray this, O oh God, for your sake and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.